Book seven, chapter seven of Round the Block by John Bell Booten. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Scenes not in the bills. The enraged idiot struck out right and left without hurting anybody, the objects of his vengeance contriving to elude him in the dark. Most of the sturdy blows which he dealt, using his arms like flails, fell upon the railings of the seats and only bruised his hands. Just as he had caught a boy by the collar and was about to take a twist in his hair, the door opened and a light appeared. It came from three candles borne by three men. This apparition caused the furious idiot to suspend hostilities on the instant. All eyes were turned toward the three men. All voices were hushed. There was a whisper in the air that something strange was about to happen. The man who entered first was a stranger, who moved and looked about in the quick, nervous way, born of city life. The other two men were well-known residents of the village. Some of the audience had had unpleasant cause to know them. Having locked the door and stationed his associates in a position to command the windows, the stranger walked quickly up the aisle, bearing his lighted candle, and said in a loud voice, which fell strangely on the hushed assemblage, Marcus Wilkeson will be kind enough to give himself up. Upon my honor, he cannot escape. This was said with a charming politeness. A tall figure arose at the wall end of one of the back seats. I am Marcus Wilkeson. What do you want with me, sir? His voice trembled, and his face was livid. To go with me to New York, Mr. Wilkeson, said the tall stranger quickly. Thank you for your promptness in answering. The only clue that I had was the hasty measure I took of you this morning, when I was watching for an escaped convict at Cortland Street Ferry. Perhaps you remember seeing me there, sir. Marcus, though the sudden shock had almost stunned him, at once recalled the man who had eyed him narrowly at the ferry that morning. The two other candle-bearers had stepped forward as Marcus declared himself, and were about to lay hold of him when the first man smilingly pushed them back and said, Don't touch him. It's all right. Mr. Wilkeson is a gentleman and will go quietly. To Marcus he said apologetically, Two Jersey constables I got to assist me. They don't do things exactly in the style of Detective Leffingwell. Marcus recognized the name, and so terrified was he at the thoughts which it conjured up that his tongue clove to the roof of his mouth. The scene was like a horrid dream. Everything is regular, sir, continued the detective. We have a requisition for you from the governor of this state. It was obtained by telegraph from Trenton. You will excuse my dropping on you in this way, but I wanted to take you to New York tonight, as the inquest meets again at ten o'clock tomorrow morning. The inquest? What inquest? Tell me, in God's name, said Marcus, finding his voice at last. Inquest? There must have been a murder committed. What is it? Tell us, Mr. Policeman. 
The question was asked on all sides. Now I didn't want a scene, said Detective Leffingwell politely, and I won't have one. Mr. Wilkeson and I understand each other. The word inquest dropped out of my mouth before I thought. As heaven is above us, we do not understand each other, said Marcus. Tell me, pray, tell me at once, or I shall go mad. Anything to please you, replied the officer, but I can't bear these explanations in public. It isn't my way of doing business. He then leaned forward and whispered in the ear of Marcus. Great God! was all that Marcus could say. Then he sank to the seat and bowed his head in agony. Tipples, who had forced his way to his friend's side during the excitement, threw his arms about him and said, Never mind appearances, Marcus. I'll stake my life you are innocent of the charge, whatever it is. Oh, you're a humbug, remarked C. Skimmerhorn, Esquire. Call me and my panorama a humbug, if you please. But Mr. Wilkeson is a gentleman and a man of honor. Tiffle's face beamed with a strange kindness. He looked up and saw the idiot standing near him. His small eyes filled with tears as he gazed with an expression of intelligent pity at the crushed man. Tiffles could have hugged the idiot, not only as the most sensible man, but the best-hearted one he had seen in the village. C. Skimmerhorn, Esquire, would have retorted severely, but his attention, and that of all the crowd, was drawn at that moment to a citizen who came forward, and, in a state of breathless excitement, said he guessed he knew what it all meant. He was in New York that afternoon, and read in one of the evening papers an account of a dreadful murder committed on an old man named Minford. The supposed murderer, the paper said, was a Mr. Wilkes or Wilkson. Now I hope you are satisfied, said Detective Leffingwell, looking around with contempt at his hearers. A slight scream was heard from the corner of a seat nearby. From the beginning of this unpleasant affair, it was observed that a plainly dressed woman, a seamstress accompanying the family of a Mr. Graft, had become very pale and nervous, and had been seen to move uneasily in her seat. This woman had fainted away. She it was who had stared so strangely at Marcus in the car that morning. Mrs. Graft and her two daughters promptly removed the fainting woman to the entry, where the fresh air soon restored her, and she was sent home. No wonder the women faint away when you crowd round here so stupidly, said the officer, momentarily losing his temper. Please stand back now, and let Mr. Wilkeson and me get out. We must leave for New York by the next train, and that starts in fifteen minutes. The detective referred to his watch. Are you ready, sir? Tapping Marcus gently on the shoulder. Marcus rose and displayed a face haggard with grief. They all whispered, or thought, He is guilty. I am ready, said he, but I call heaven to witness that I know nothing of this crime. 
The detective bowed courteously and then said, I also have summons for Mr. Tiffles and Mr. Patching, gentlemen connected with this panorama, as witnesses. They will please step forward. I am Mr. Tiffles, said that person. Wesley is my panoramic name. This disclosure caused a small sensation. I knew the man was a humbug from the start, whispered C. Skimmerhorn Esquire to a friend at his elbow. I'd like to prosecute him for swindling. And I am Mr. Patching, exclaimed the artist, presenting himself. It should be here stated that, when the disturbances of the evening first set in, Patching, in pure disgust at the bad taste of the audience, had quietly dropped himself out of the second-story window at the rear of the stage, and had been skulking in the back lot ever since. Having heard outside of the arrest of Marcus Wilkeson on an unknown charge, he had plucked up courage and friendship enough to re-enter the hall and tender his aid and consolation to that unhappy man. He came in just in time to hear his name called. "'So that's the chap they called Chicory or Checkerberry,' whispered C. Skimmerhorn Esquire. "'Anybody can see he is a swindler by his slouched hat and beard. Shouldn't I enjoy having a good case against him?' Pigworth, J.P., landlord of the United States Hotel, and Mr. Bullpin, proprietor, came forward with their little bills, and demanded immediate payment. This financial difficulty was arranged in one minute by the genius of Wesley Tiffles. After paying Stoop one dollar and a half, that excellent idiot crying and vowing that he didn't want it, the rest of the proceeds, deducting enough for fares to New York, were divided equally between the two other creditors and the panorama and all the appurtenances were left as a joint security for remaining obligations. The panorama was worth twice the debts, to be cut into window shades. After some grumbling, Messrs. Pigworth and Boolpin accepted the terms. Five minutes later, the polite detective and his party started for New York. There was a great number of people at the station to see them off, but only one to say good-bye. That one was the man-boy, Stoop, who cried as if his great simple heart would break. End of Book 7, Chapter 7